You're listening to True Stories Told Live. Welcome to Speakeasy, where our tellers get on stage with their whole, authentic, beautifully human selves and speak their experience. No notes, just the memory of a life lived. On our stage, you'll hear humor, hope, embarrassment, disappointment, grief, lust, anger, love, remembrance, the whole brilliant and nuanced spectrum of what it is to live as individuals in community with others. Here at Speakeasy, our incredibly gracious audience holds all of it, sighing together, laughing together, crying together, and cheering our hearts out together. There's a symbiotic thing we've got going here between our tellers and our listeners where each person creates that sacred space that just unflinchingly holds each other's stories, where we bear bits of our souls and bear witness. Join us the first Thursday of every month in Columbus, Ohio, at 7 p.m., where we gather at Wild Goose Creative, nestled in amongst the gallery's newest art exhibit. With a simple theme as inspiration, 10 tellers sign up, brave up, Step up in front of a microphone and get honest. What you're about to hear is one of those stories. Oh! Ooh! Ooh! Love to love you, baby. Ooh! Ooh! Love to love you, baby. It was 1979, and disco was king, and I had just moved to New York City from Minnesota. Now, I was rather fair of face and slightly firm of figure, and I had lots of dark curls. And because of that, I was very quickly brought into a social world in New York City. And one of the people I met was Andy Warhol. Honey, get ready. I'm going to drop more names in this story than Cher has earrings. <laughs> Trust me. But I knew that Andy liked me mostly because I was funny. And I knew that I'd been elevated a little bit in his esteem when I got a phone call one day from Bridget, who ran his, the factory, the, his office, and she said, tomorrow night there's a big party and Andy would like you to ride in his car big deal. I said, well, where are we going? She said, it's a surprise. Well, what should I wear? She said, be fabulous. Well, I had just moved from Minnesota. I didn't have anything fabulous. So one of the people I'd met named Robert was a big fashion editor. And I called Robert. I said, Robert, help me. I need something to wear. He said, I know this hot, new, undiscovered Japanese designer, and I'll get you in. So we went to the the guy's salon, and I said, these clothes are crazy. And Robert said, they're fabulous. (laughs) They're fabulous. So I tried on and ended up buying these big black balloon pants, (laughs) sort of like Chinese lanterns, and this white shirt that had dolman sleeves. And when I walked, it floated like a sail down the Nile on a barge. (laughs) 
a wide lipstick red leather cummerbund, a huge clip-on lipstick red leather bow tie, and patent leather lipstick red cork sole platform clogs. I said, Robert, are you sure? He said, you look like a million bucks. I said, I should have just spent a million bucks. Well, the next night at 10 o'clock, the limousine, and I mean a limousine, a disco limousine pulled up, and I started to get in, and Andy looked at me and went, wow. <laughs> and I went, wow? Wow. But before I could get really nervous about it, somebody put a mirror with lines of cocaine on it in front of me. Now, I had had Minneapolis cocaine. I had not had rich white people New York City rock star cocaine. There was a difference. So, we get in the limousine, and I'm just high as a kite, and all of a sudden, there's this huge crowd outside the limousine window with the number 54. Studio 54. Honey, let me tell you right now. If you think getting tickets to Hamilton was hard, getting into Studio 54 was hard. And I said, well, are we going to go in? He said, we don't go in the front. And so we pulled around to the back of the building. And there was this like alley. And they opened up the door. <laughs> Macho, macho man, I want to be a macho man. It was like walking into like a dead rabbit with like a thumping heart and all this red music. Macho, macho man. Well, we walk in and all of a sudden I look and there's, swear to God, Halston. And Halston looks at me and says, you need a fez. And I said, a fez? He said, dear, if you had a fez, you could be a waiter in a two-bit hotel in Istanbul. <laughs> he was right. So we walked in, and it was the 10th anniversary of, of uh, Interview Magazine. And it was at Studio 54, and there were the people out there and then there were the VIPs in here. And I was one of the VIPs. Now, they had separated the two the places in the disco by, like, this huge scrim, huge, that had all of the covers for 10 years of Interview Magazine in the middle. And in the middle was the guest of honors picture, Deborah Harry. She was fabulous. She was just incredible. So all of a sudden, someone walks up to me and says, Ralph, Let's dance. I said, I can't dance. It's these fucking shoes. <laughs> so I stay up there, and I'm roaming around. And I'm roaming around. And all of a sudden, I get over to this six-foot-tall gazelle, this blonde with a Texas accent named Jerry Hall. And Jerry Hall, the supermodel, was talking about how she had just married Mick Jagger. And she smelled of cigarettes and opium cologne, and the worst body odor I've ever smelled in my entire life on a human being. She should have flies flying around it was so bad. So she looks at me and she says, 
Mick and I are going to Mykonos. Isn't that cute? I said, adorable. <laughs> and I walked away to see Paloma Picasso with her pitch black hair and her bright red signature lipstick and lots of attitude. Well, at this point, I am not feeling particularly welcome. And so my friend goes, let's go downstairs. Let's go downstairs. Now, you need to know this is the truth. At Studio 54, the VIP section was the basement. And the lower you went, the higher you got. And so we walked down the stairs, and there's a red light. And I go down. There were a scene of bacchanalia that would, that would literally make the pornographic frescoes painted on the Pompeian whorehouse walls look like nothing. There was a famous Russian ballet star. People were snorting cocaine off his ass. <laughs> My friend starts to try to pull me into the orgy. There's literally an orgy. And I'm going, I don't want to. These are new pants. I don't want smooths on my new pants. So I pull away. I'm halfway up the stairs. Just like Cinderella, I'm missing one of my fucking clogs. So I go down. Put my clog up. By this point, I'm drunk and so high. My heart's pounding so hard that I walk upstairs and someone left the cake out in the rain. And I don't think that I can take it because, you know, I, I never live that way again. I have to sit down. I just have to sit down. Now, there is a lipstick red sofa up on a plinth that's been covered with red um, sequin fabric. And I go over and I sit down. Now, if you are a painter and you go to a party and then walks William de Kooning, you die. If you are a dancer and then walks Fred Astaire, you die. If you're a ballerina, and in walks Misty Copeland, you die. But if you're a writer, and in walks my guru, the little southern queen who got out, and he wrote Other Voices, Other Rooms, Breakfast at Tiffany's, In Cold Blood, and my favorite, A Christmas Memory, and he walks in the door, your heart begins to pound for more than one reason, obviously. <laughs> well, there's space on the sofa next to me. And Truman Capote, he's about this big, is with Lorna Luft. Lorna Luft, Judy Garland's less talented and successful daughter, and Liza Minnelli's less talented and successful sister. And they walk toward me, and he sits right next to me on the sofa. I'm so nervous. You know, I, I'm so excited, literally. And to, to fill the gap, 
I didn't know that Lorna Luft was in New York doing everything in the world she could to try to escape her sister and her mother's fame. So I said to her, Lorna, if I ever get married, would you sing Over the Rainbow and Cabaret at my wedding? And she said, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and Truman Capote looks at me and says, he's a cookie jar. And then threw up all over my leg. It wasn't a trickle, darling. It was a torrent of every bit of bitterness and sadness and everything that was putrid in that little body literally drenched my leg. And I started to go, ah, ah, there's vomit in my clog, ah, ah. Next thing I know, someone's patting my leg. And I kept thinking, oh, God, please. Oh, please. Is it Barishnikov? Did he rip off his T-shirt to wipe the puke off my thigh? And I looked down, and it was a beautiful busboy wearing the Studio 50 uniform of a little cropped T-shirt and short gym shorts and striped knee socks and pumas. <laughs> And he says, Poppy, it's time for you to go home. So he starts to walk me to the door. And I catch Andy's eye. And I know that I'll never be invited in the limousine again. The young man walked me to my car. And my heart's pounding. And I'm covered with smoke. And I said, thank you. What's your name? And he said, Hector. And I know how you feel. Where I'm from, I'm an architect. To them, I'm just stupid meat. I woke up the next morning. And, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, the memories in my... God, I was so hungover, and there was, my nose was crusted, and my hands were shaking, and I looked in the bathroom, and there were my clothes in a wet pile in the middle of the tub. And then I thought, you know, I'm in this town. And I could live in this town, and I could live in this town with Midwest nice. And I will never again be impressed by people's money and fame. I would care about their heart and their talent and their ass. <laughs> I looked down, and in my arm, I said, ooh, Hector. <laughs> Hector. Ooh, love to love you, baby. Ooh, love to love you, baby. Guess what we are? We're New York, 
New Yorkers. And when we tell them to start spreading something, it ain't gonna be the news.